Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for another wonderful day, an opportunity to be in your presence and to study your word. We pray in Jesus' mighty name that you open the eyes of our understanding, open our hearts to be receptive to your word. Give us deep insights as we approach your word and let your word transform our lives this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we we are still on Revelations. Um, last week, we studied from chapter 15 to chapter 17. Um, we ended on chapter 17 where we, um, I think we ended with a slide that had um, the various empires um, and the expectation of the seventh empire, which is going to produce the eighth head as said by Revelation. So today we are going to um, move straight to um, chapter 18. I think um, I shared earlier on that we are going to use next week for questions and answers. So if there's any question um, on what we have shared so far, we can um, discuss that next week. I'm trusting that next week we'll probably only have chapter 21 or chapter chapter 21 and 22 left, which, which are just um, a description of the city that we're going to talk about. Um, if... if possible we can get to chapter 21 and we'll just be left one chapter so that next week we can allocate all the time to questions and answers so today we are going to start with chapter 18 um, revelation chapter 18 verse 1 after these things i saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was eliminated with his glory and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying Babylon the great is fallen, it's fallen, and has become a dwelling place for, of demons, and a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heavens, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she has glorified herself and lived lux luxuriously, in the same manner give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I see it as a queen, and I'm no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. And so I think we discuss um, Babylon. Or the har the harlot, Babylon, in chapter eighteen, and we mentioned that it was a, f a false religious system, and it has caused people to turn their backs on God and had followed this Babylonian system, and so chap chapter thirteen mentioned the fall of this um, entity, this false religious entity, and um, chapter eighteen is just giving us details. So. This time, John saw one of the angels come to him and he's going to show him a vivid picture of the fall of um, this false religious system. Bible says in verse 3 that for all the nations have drunk of the wine of her fornication. Kings of the earth have 
committed fornication with her. Fornication in this context is people turning their backs on God and going after this entity. Some people also explain this um, Babylonia, uh, this hallowed as a city or as um, a city that promoted um, that promoted um, idolatry, sin, immorality, and all those things. But this can also can be seen as a religious entity, something that has led the people to turn their backs on God and have gone after this um, particular entity. Now, God warns his people in verse 4 that I've, I had another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive her plagues. And so the people of God are warned to come out and not be part of this entity, not associate with this entity. And verse 6 talks about... Um, no, verse 7 says that in the measure that she glorified herself, live luxuriously in the same measure I give unto her. You see, the words that is being said or the words that describes this entity is that it, the entity is full of pride and does not have regard for God. And God brings down this entity, brings judgment upon this entity in chapter 18. This was already mentioned in chapter 13 and chapter 18 gives us uh, more details of this um, Babylonian. Yes, in chapter 13. So chapter 18 gives us more details of what is happening to this um, entity. So I'm going to read further. In verse 9, it says, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her furnace standing at a distance for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchant of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and of silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, and wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariot, bodies, and the souls of men. That part um, interests me so much when it talks about the merchandise of this particular entity, of this religious entity. It has the bodies and the souls of men included as a merchandise that was being traded. And by Bible says that, and nobody was trading with her anyway. It, it's, it's, it's a picture that describes the um, um, the instant judgment of this religious entity that brings it down and collapse it. Uh, the Bible tell, told us earlier in chapter 17 that um, the kings of the earth who supported the beast will come together and fight against this religious entity. And that is in the next three and a half, the last three and a half years, when the Antichrist seeks to establish himself as a god has to fight against a, any religious system that is established so this false religious system the antichrist will have to fight against it and present himself as a god to be worshipped and no other will, will not um will not um tolerate any worship of any other god so his um the people the kings who gave the authority to this antichrist will also fight against or come against this um Entity and so the Bible describes it as um, it, it, it was it was very rich 
and it it was trading in so many things and mentions here the bodies and the souls of men as part of the merchandise or the things that he um, this entity traded in the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you and all things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more so it brings it talks about the end of this religious entity, the collapse and the end of this religious entity. The merchant the merchants of these things who came who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They, th they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in, in one Ah, she's become desolate. Rejoice, O heaven, and you, holy apostles and prophet, for God has avenged on her. And so that is um, the destruction of this. Um, the destruction of this religious entity. It's it's going to come instantly. God is going to allow the Antichrist and his people to fight against this false religious system, and collapse it and bring it to an an utter end it is god who allows this judgment and the bible says that heavens rejoice at the destruction of this religious false religious system now after these things i had a, a a loud cry sorry a loud voice of great multitude in heaven saying hallelujah salvation glory and honor and power belongs to the god to the lord our god for for true and righteous are his judgment, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shared by her. Again, they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And twenty-four elders and four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God. All you, his servant, and those who fear him, both small and great. And so heaven rejoice that this hallowed, one who caused people to turn their backs from the, the true God and follow after her, have come. she has come to an end. And the Bible tells us that a lot of the servants of God suffered in, in her hands. They were, they were martyred and they were killed because of her and now she's come she's been fought judgment has come upon her she has collapsed the system that religious force religious system has collapsed and <clears throat> heaven rejoice and the people in heaven the 24 elders the four living creatures worship god and they rejoice because she has come to an utter end and now the bible says and i heard verse 6 and i heard as it were the voice of great multitude of sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made him herself ready. As to her, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in the fine linen, in fine linen, 
clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. So the Bible, again, reminds us the importance of the righteous act or the righteous deed or the good deeds of the saints. The Bible says that the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride of the Lamb is arrayed or is clothed with fine linen, which is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the righteous deed of the saints is the linen in which the bride of the um, the lamp comes with. And so, so while the halot is being destroyed on earth, in heaven, the marriage uh, supper of the lamp is being prepared and is ready. In verse 9, the Bible says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See, See that, um, And he said to me, See, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And so we see here again that angels do not accept worship. John's attempt, when John attempted to worship the angel, the angel said, no, don't worship me. You should worship God alone. And so this clearly tells us that the people who worship, who, who practice the worship of angels are not following the Bible because the Bible tells, makes it clear to us that angels do not accept worship. Now, in verse 11, the story transitions from the earth where we see the destruction of the hallowed and goes into heaven and reminds us again and, and tells us what is about to happen from heaven. And we see Christ descending. Now, when you compare the Christ descending from heaven in chapter 19 to Chapter 6, where we saw the Antichrist also coming on a white horse, there is a discrepancy, and that makes it clear to us that, <clears throat> that the man on the white horse in chapter. I'm sorry. <coughs> the, man, the man on the white horse. The man on the white horse. The man on the white horse in chapter 6 is not Christ. And so verse 11 says that now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. He who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judged and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the vine press. Of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty. And 
He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Right, so this picture here reminds us, um, when we compare this picture to that the one in Revelation chapter 6, we realize that there's a great discrepancy, there's a great difference. This is Jesus Christ coming on a white horse. The Bible says that he had on his head many crowns. Crowns were not given to him. So the picture just switched. Um, the narration or the vision that was shown John changes quickly from the marriage supper where it appears as if it's a time of rejoicing and everybody's happy quickly. The lamb, the marriage supper, the story changes quickly to a man who is coming with great, Bible calls him, he judges and makes war. So he's coming in all seriousness. And so the story changes quickly from rejoicing, from marriage supper to war. And he's coming again to a man, a man of war. That tells us or that should remind us the characteristics of God. That God is a loving God. So even though he's a loving God, he's also a God who executes judgment. And so it is better for us to meet God in his love than to meet him in his wrath because god has both sides and we saw him in the marriage supper rejoicing quickly the story changes bible says that heaven opens and behold the white horse and he who sat on the horse is called faithful and true and he's right in righteousness he judges and so god's judgment are righteous his eyes like a flame of fire and he had many crowns and a name was written down no one and bible says verse 13 says and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god and so jesus christ descends on the earth this is where the bible says all eyes will see him in the rapture not all eyes will see him but when he's coming down on earth all eyes will see him he's clothed in a robe that is dipped in blood his own blood showing that he has purchased the whole land showing that every soul on earth belongs to him so he's bringing his receipt to show that yes he really shed his blood to buy every single soul he has purchased the whole field and he's coming on his white horse and verse 14 says that and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean followed him on white horses and this should remind us that the armies of heaven here it's us believers who um were part of the marriage supper and quickly we all also come again as men of war following our leader following our general to the battlefield and very interesting the bible says that well everyone is clothed in fine in, in fine linen and white and clean and we followed him on the on white horses now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron and he himself treads the vinepress of his fierceness and the wrath of God Almighty. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name, writ a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the Bible says, out of his mouth will come a sharp sword. Every time that we talk about the word of God, we talk about Jesus Christ. He has a sword. And that was also one discrepancy that we, we saw between the um the 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 man on the horse in chapter six 
and this particular one. Jesus Christ, with the sword of his mouth, with the words of his mouth, he's going to command whatever is going to destroy um, the armies that will set themselves against the people of God. So with the words of his mouth, he will command whatever it is, whether it be a plague or something that is going to destroy them, he, he will command it from his mouth and the destruction will come upon the people. I want us to read Jude verse 14. The Bible says in Jude verse 14 that um, and Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things. We, we don't really know where um, Jude got this information from, but he says that Enoch prophesied. Probably he got this from extra biblical books um, that have not been that has not included that have not been included in in the canon of scripture. So Jude is saying that Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of this thing, saying, "Behold, the Lord cometh in ten thousand, cometh with ten thousand of his saints." To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him and so jude verse 14 reminds us that when christ is coming down he's coming with the saints and that this scripture supports the the um the the view that the saints will be raptured and then they will come back with christ and so when christ is coming back the armies of heaven that follows him the saints are part of that army other verses in the bible also talk about the fact that he's and he'll be coming with angels but that in zechariah chapter 14 again it talked about the fact that christ when christ is coming he's coming with his saints and jude verse 14 confirms or suppose that view that when Christ is coming on earth, he's coming with his saints. And we see in Revelation here that the armies of heaven is coming with him and they are all on white on white horses. Verse 17, the Bible says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come gather together for the supper of the of the great God that you may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of captains the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all the people free and slim both small and great so that the best in the air have been invited to come and feast on the bodies of the people who are going to set themselves against the 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 kingdom of god and the people of god that there is going to be a great there's going to be great bodies or um, there's going to be um, the Bible described described it here that they may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains. So you can see that there are going to be a lot of dead bodies because Bible tells us that with the words of his mouth, with the sword of his mouth, he's going to um, he's going to destroy those um, those people who have set themselves against the people of God. And so the angel invites all the birds. This gives us a picture or an idea of the fact that it, there is going to be multitudes of dead, bo dead bodies all over the place. And the birds have been um, invited to come and feast on them. Now, these are some of the images in the Bible or in the book of Revelation that scare people or that people that cause people to avoid reading the book of revelation but like we have discussed from the beginning that 
These things are written for our learning, so that we will know the end of sinners and we will make a right decision to follow Christ. God has given us a way. He has given us an escape. He has given us an opportunity to accept Christ and avoid these things. And so as you read and you see these images, they should not scare you. But that is the end of sinners. That is the true end of sinners. And God does not want us to end up like that. And that is why so I remember somebody saying this is a very graphic image. And that's why he doesn't read Revelations. But this thing is written for our learning so that we will not end up like this. Verse 19 says that, And I saw the beast, the, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. But then again, verse 19 tells us how people have become godless to the state that they can gather, to, they can come together and say, we are going to make war against God. While pe people will become so proud see themselves as God uh, or powerful enough to fight against God. Or they might think that they have enough weapons to be able to fight against the creator of heaven and earth. It tells you the godless state of these people that they even thought that they could stand against God. They could stand and defend themselves against the wrath of God. So Bible says in verse 19 that I saw the beast. The beast has, we read earlier that the beast, deceived the whole world and they came to him to fight against god and so verse 19 and i saw the beast the kings of the earth and their armies i can just imagine that they will gather some sophisticated weapons during the, uh, during those days and they will feel that oh we will, with this weapons we can we will be able to fight against the armies of heaven that tells you the state of depravity that man will get and that's this takes me back to romans chapter one that um, be, be, because they refused to retain the knowledge of God. God gave them up to destroy themselves. Because it's, I cannot even think about it, that man can get to the point where he thinks that he can defend himself against God or can fight against God. But that is what happened. So then the beast was captured. And with him, the false prophet, who worked signs in the present, in his in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two were cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceed from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the bears were filled with their flesh. And so the beast and the false prophet were captured. Um, this picture or this story does not even tell us that they had some sort of strength to resist against God or to fight against God. They were just captured and they were thrown into the lake of fire. And the Bible says that the rest of the people, the words that proceed out of the mouth of the Lord, by those words, those people were destroyed. And this should give us an idea of the Bible-sized devil, that he has nothing against God. He cannot there is it's not like Christ in is it's in some sort of combat combat with the devil where the devil throws one punch and Christ will throw three or four punches then Christ will be declared the winner. No, the devil is nowhere near Christ. There he cannot stand in any he does not even qualify to stand in any form of combat with Christ. And we we'll see how the devil himself was captured. He just took one angel 
to put a chain on the devil, like a man chains his dog. And that tells you that that should give us an idea of how the Bible describes the, the, the devil and how powerful our God is. Or we should understand the strength or the authority or the power of the, of, of the side which we belong or the army that we belong or the nation that we are citizens of. We should understand if I will borrow the word, the military power of this army. And we should not, when we are engaged in, in any form of warfare, we should know that we are fighting from the standpoint of victory. Not, not that we are going to fight any battle with the devil, but we are only enforcing the victory that we already have. So verse chapter 20 says that, Now I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the, the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years was finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So he just take, it took one angel to just take the devil, bind him and lock him up. Just one angel locked up the devil and he couldn't do anything about it. And they put a seal on him that he couldn't come out. If the devil was that powerful as we have imagined in our head, he, he should have been able to resist the angel or he should have been able to come out of there seal when he's locked for a thousand years if he is that powerful he should have been able to break free but this tells us that the devil stands no chance when it comes to god's purpose and it comes to god's people the devil has absolutely no chance his weapon from the beginning has been deception and that is why it's important that we know the word of god we confess the word of god and know our identity and what christ has made us and what Christ has done for us. When we understand what Christ has done for us and who Christ has made us, the devil has, has absolutely no chance against us. So the devil was put into chains by one angel, bound for a thousand years, and a seal was set. The devil took the padlock, locked him, and kept him there for a thousand years, and the devil couldn't do anything about it. The angel locked him up. Verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness, for their witness to Jesus Christ, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast of the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands, and they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now this is what um we we have um, the, um, labeled the millennial rule. And so um, believers, Christians, the saints are going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. During the thousand years rule, the devil will be chained. He will be bound for that thousand years. The Bible, I think Isaiah 65 talks about this time, that there's going to be perfect peace. There's not going to be. The Bible says the devil is bound that he should not deceive 
the nations. That also that is also a very important point. It tells us that all the devil does to the nations, to the people, and to 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 people and to the nations is to deceive. That is all the devil does. His main activity is to deceive. And so he was bound not to deceive. And this thousand years reign is a reign of peace. People are going, Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 that people, even, even when somebody dies at 100 years old, that person is seen as a baby, as a child. And this does not refer to the people who reign in the kingdom with Christ, but the people outside of the kingdom. And so the Bible says that after a thousand years, the devil is released to, the devil will be released after a thousand years for a short while. And so the, this is the millennial rule um, from verse um, 4. It talks about, and they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Um, but now with the concerning the millennial rule, also there are um, different school of thought. Um, there is the pre-millennial rule, which is in line with pre-tribulation. And there is the post-millennial rule, which says that um, the pre-millennial rule, the people, the premillennial, the premillennials believe that Christ will remove the church from the earth before they come back to establish the millennial rule. The postmillennial um, view is that the world will become progressively Christian as we continue to preach, and there is the a millennial rule of no millennium who also believe that Christ is ruling spiritually in the church now. Therefore, there wouldn't be any literal millennial um, thousand year rule. Verse 5 says that the rest of the, but um, I believe that the premillennial rule is consistent with what the Bible teaches, that Christ will remove the church from the earth and then he will come back with Christ to establish the thousand year rule. Amen. But the rest of the dead did not leave again until the thousand year were finished. That is the first resurrection. And so the rest of the dead, the people who <clears throat> do not belong to the kingdom of God will not be resurrected at this point the time that they'll be resurrected is to face the judgments their final judgment so they will not live again it's only the people of god who believe in this kingdom at that time the, the people who are dead who have not accepted christ who do not belong to christ will not be resurrected at this time right blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection over such the second has no power the second death has no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him. So everyone who is part of the millennial rule, what the Bible is telling us here is that person is safe. That person is okay. The second death, which is the total separation from God, where people will be cast into the lake of fire, has absolutely no power on such a person. Now, when a thousand years was expired, Satan will be released for, from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, to battle whose number is as the sun of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven, from God out of heaven, and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, and brimstone where he where the beast and the false prophet are and they were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever 
And so the devil, after he's released for a short while, he's also cast into the lake of fire. He joins the prophet, the false prophet and the beast who have already been there for a thousand years. And he joins them there. And Bible says that, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Day and night means that it is continuous. Not like they will have a 30 minutes break or 15 minutes break. It is continuous, it's forever. It is eternal. And that is why the Bible is warning us so that we don't end up where the devil and his um, his machinery or his, his cohort will end up. So Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Again, this reminds us that not that Satan has power even, even during judgment to decide anything. Everything is in the hands of God. God controls the course of the earth from the beginning to the end. The devil has absolutely no... Everything the devil does is because he's allowed by heaven and he's allowed by God. By God. In the course of the tribulation, everything that the devil does is because heaven allowed it to happen. He does not have ultimate powers he does not have ultimate authority to do anything verse 11 says that then i saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and they were still found no place for them and i saw the dead small and small and great standing before god and books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire so christians are not going to stand in this judgment the great white throne judgment this is the judgment of sinners or unbelievers because the bible says these guys have not accepted jesus christ as their lord and personal savior so they are going to be judged by their deeds and there's no way they are going to qualify by their deeds they have not accepted jesus christ and so this judgment is a judgment for unbelievers well, we um, Christians who, who, who appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that is a judgment of reward. They are going; their deeds are going to reward them. In Second Corinthians, verse Second Corinthians chapter five, verse verse ten. Um, going to switch to Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. It tells us that we must all appear before. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he had, whether good, whether it is good or bad. The Bible again tells us in the book of Timothy that every deed will be passed through fire and some deeds will be able to stand, others will not be able to stand. And so that one is the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And that one is only the believers who are going to stand in that seat. That seat is not a seat of condemnation, as the Bible reminds us that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the great white throne judgment is the judgment for the unbelievers. They are going to be judged by their deeds. And the Bible says the judge the dead were judged according to their deeds by the things which were written in their books. The sea gave up their dead, death and hedges delivered them up. And they were judged each one according to according to um to his works. Then death and hedges were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone 
not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so this is the judgment for unbelievers, the judgment for the wicked and for sinners. Now, as Christians, the fact that God is going to review our deeds, God is going to review the things that we, we do here on earth should be of importance to us. That if really God is going to review the things that we have done here and reward us, the things that we have done or we, we are doing as believers and reward us, then it should really matter to us that every single time we went out to win, so every single time that we gave somebody water to drink, every single time that we did anything in the name of Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ, it's going to be reviewed and it's going to be rewarded. Every work that is going to be reviewed, if you know that your work is going to be reviewed by your boss, you give your very best. And so the fact that our lives are going to be reviewed, our deeds are going to be reviewed by Christ, should inspire us to give out our very best during our time here on earth. And this is very, very important. Amen. Now, uh, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned with her, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, "Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them." And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And, and there will be no more pain. For the former things have passed. Um, okay. This was in chapter 20, where I spoke about the millennium, the millennium in verse 4. In, um, in, verse, in verse 4, the Bible says, I saw thrones, and there was, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image. And they had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this was where I explained the millennium that there were a number of, there were three popular views on the millennium. There's the pre-millennial view, the post-millennial view, and then the amillennial view or no-millennial view. With, uh, the pre-millennial view is that Christ will remove the church from the earth before he comes back to establish the millennial rule. And this is in line with pre-tribulation, that the church will be raptured and will come together with Christ. And I believe this is consistent with what the Bible teaches. Um, there are others who believe in post-millennial view who also say that the world will pro become progressively Christian as we continue to preach. Then no millennial people or amillennial people also say that 
Christ is currently ruling in the heart of his people. And so there will not be a literal millennial kingdom. But I, I believe that um, pre-millennial view is consistent with what the Bible um, teaches. Um, if I, I hope I've answered that question. Uh, all right. Okay. I, I couldn't see your face earlier. So I, I, all right. Okay, so verse 20, verse 21 talks about um, the new heaven and the new earth. The first one is past, and John is saying that this particular new heaven and earth has more land. He says that also there was no more sea that's going to happen in the new heaven and new earth. It has more land. There's, there's, there was no more sea. That's what John is saying. Um, then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they sh shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. See, this has been, the reason why I have this highlighted is right from Exodus, we see that this has been God's desire to live among his people so that his people will see him as they are God. It has been God's desire. This afternoon, I was just meditating and I, I, it just dawned on me that truly the most precious thing, the most important thing that we missed because of the fall of Adam is the presence of God. The presence of God, being in the presence of God, I believe, is the most important thing. I was just thinking about it this afternoon. That is, it's most important thing, if not one of the most important things that we missed in because of the fall. And so, when even when Jesus Christ died, rose again, that brought to us the presence of God in the form of the Holy Spirit to live in us. Ultimately, we are going to have the presence of God. Bible says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. The people who go to hell are going to spend eternity without the presence of God, total separation from God. So it's, it's as we think about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the important things that was restored to us as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the fact that we have the presence of God in the form of the Holy Spirit and we have access to the presence of God. And and that um, when when believers die, they go straight to the that also gave us access to his presence. And we don't have to go to a waiting place, but we have to we can go straight to his presence because Christ entered the holiest, the holies of holies for us. And because of that, the petition was separated. So we can go to the presence of God now. We can go to the presence of God in prayer. And even after at this life, we Christ has qualified us to go to the presence of God. Before the death and resurrection, nobody was qualified to go into God's presence. And so they had to go into Abraham's bosom. But after the death and the resurrection of Christ, the, the access to God has been granted. Access to the presence of God. The legal access to the presence of God has been granted. And this is so important for us as believers. I believe it's... Um, one of the very important things that we should cherish that we have the presence of God with us. 
and Bible says, and God will wipe away their tear from the tears from their eyes, every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Whenever we talk about the end of all things, this is also to be emphasized that God has this promise for believers that he's going to wipe every tear from their eyes, that he's going to, there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Whenever we talk about the end times and we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, we should consider this promise, wonderful promise that God has for us as children of God. This should inspire us and give us hope to be to remain faithful to the end. Then the Bible says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. And he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Amen. Right, we can finish this one here. Then one of the seven angels who had, verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now, traditionally, it has been taught that the church is the bride of Christ. But from this verse, when John took, John was taken to the Spirit, he was introduced to the bride of Christ. And that the bride of Christ was a city, a holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven. And so, um, there are some scriptures that have been used to explain the church as... Um, the bride of Christ. And one of the most prominent ones is Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 22 to verse 30 where Paul makes a comparison or Paul makes an allegorical statement or presents an allegory between the church and um, the relationship Christ has with the church and the relationship between the husband and wife. And that has been popular, popularly preached that the church is the bride of christ in fact it's a traditional view that even very good commentators still um, make that commentary that the church is the bride of christ but when john was taken into the spirit the bride that was shown to john is the holy jerusalem this is the city holy jerusalem descending out of heaven from god having the glory of god her light was like a most precious stone like jasper's stone clear and clear as crystal also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gate and the names and names written on them, which are the names of the 12, 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south and three gates on the west. Now, this city is even described into more detail when we continue to read chapter 21. And so 
some people will also argue that it's just the church being presented that way. But this city is actually described and given length, breadth, height, and everything. And so, in fact, when we examine all these scriptures that are normally used to explain the church as the bride of Christ, you see clearly that those scriptures don't necessarily mention that the church is the bride of Christ. That's Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 13, where it talks about the 10 virgins, John chapter 3, verse 29, and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 30, which is normally used to explain the church as the bride of Christ. You, you see that those scriptures don't necessarily say that the church is the bride of Christ. The Bible is consistent in what it, what it teaches from the beginning to the end. So when we examine those scriptures carefully, we'll see that it does not necessarily say that the church is the bride of Christ. And and so when John was, when the angel invited John to come and see, I'm going to show you the bride of Christ. He showed him a city and that city was described into more detail. From chapter 14, we see the description of the city. It says, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them, were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We remember Christ promising the apostles that he was going to give them a prominent place in the kingdom of his Father. And so they set forth here. And I think Paul also teaches that um, the church has its foundation on the doctrines of the apostles. And so we see that the apostles have a very prominent position here in the kingdom of God. And now the city, which is the bride, is, is explained further and is described further in chapter 21. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gate and its wall. The city lay, is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. It means the length and breadth were the same. Um, and he measured... Um, the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man. That is of an angel. Usually I like to read this in the New Living Translation because of um, clarity. But um, since I have this here, I can read. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure, was pure gold, like crystal the foundation of um, the wall of the city was adorned with all kinds of precious stones the first foundation was jasper the second sapphire or sapphire and the first foundation um, the third foundation um chalcedony the fourth emerald the fifth sat Sardonyx, the seventh Sardis, the seventh Crystallite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, the tenth Christophrase, the eleventh Jacent, the twelfth Amethyst, the twelfth Gate were, were twelve pearls, pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass and so the description is given of this precious 12 precious minerals that were used in i i don't know if these minerals are still present here i don't i i don't think so uh some of the names i've not even seen before except in the bible um but these are all precious minerals per the description that john saw that is used for the foundation 
the foundation of the walls of this city. Um, sorry. All right, we, we're going to stop here. I couldn't, I cannot see the time. So we're going to stop here and then we'll continue from the, the last slide of verse 21 and then we'll move to verse 22 which should be um, very brief and then next week we'll take the questions if there are any questions and we'll, in fact we'll, next week is question and answer so I expect that um, we can discuss the question um, I shall we shall, or hand over to Pastor Steve if he has anything to share with us Well, we thank God. The only announcement is we meet on Bessemer on Sunday at our location, 723 South 17th Street in New York. So if you can make it, we'll be glad to see you. And God bless you. All right. All right. So see you all next week. Father, we thank you for today. We bless you for what we've learned. We pray that you continue to reveal yourself to us through your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Good word. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Amen.